You know, I'm sure the last thing you want to hear on Easter Sunday morning is more about this global pandemic called COVID-19, but it is undoubtedly a pressing issue for us. So just briefly, by way of in- introduction, let's address it. But, but, but can we put the health aside uh, just for our health impact aside for just a moment? Um, As the world, and especially the U.S. economies, have come to a screeching halt, there have been some significant financial implications. (laughs) Certainly, there is a good news of checks coming in the mail from the government to American taxpayers, as well as financial help offered to U.S. businesses. Now, I'm neither a politician nor uh, an economist, but the jury is out as to how much help that will actually provide but I'm thankful for the attempt. But the fact remains, many small businesses have been closed by governmental mandate, and some will not recover. Many have lost jobs. The unemployment claims have reached an all-time high in our country, and many wonder whether there will be businesses to which to return. And then there's the stock market. Wow. It has lost some 20% of its value during this crisis. Will it recover? Well, again, I'm not an economist. I guess we'll just have to wait and see. Of course, for many of us, that means our 401ks have been greatly affected. I figure I'm going to be preaching till I'm 80 now. So what has all of that news done for you? Has it been unsettling? I'm sure it has maybe even crushing. Is there an appropriate response for Christians in the midst of this economic crisis? What about you who may be tuning in who are not yet Christians? What has this done to you and, and your hope for the future? Uh, Of course, add to all that, Vermont Senator uh, Bernie Sanders has ended his bid for the presidency. Does this cause you concern as you hoped that we were headed for some socialist utopia? Or or does that cause celebration because you thought we were headed for a a socialist nightmare? I, I guess I can sum it all up by asking, where does your hope lie? Has it gone up in smoke? I guess I could ask it this way. What is your treasure? What is it that you are collecting, saving, valuing, that you, will th- that you think will give you a sense of meaning and purpose and fulfillment, that you think will give you life? Wh- where is it that you are seeking life and hope? You may say, well, it isn't. It's just mere stuff. I mean, what I collect is of real value, material value, jewelry and bank accounts and bonds and real estate, property, houses, even cars, stuff that is really worth something. I can, I can cash it in. It has some real value. And I suspect that may be true for some of you, but the question remains, does all of that really bring you the sense of joy and purpose and fulfillment for which you long? You see, that's the question today. Where is it that you are seeking life? And is it working? 
You say, well, my, my source of life isn't found in stuff. I'm deeper than that. I, I find life in my education, my job, or, or career, in my professional recognition, my accomplishments, in my success, in my status. Is that fulfilling for you? All of that that is here one day and gone the next, carried off like uh, so much junk to the city dump? <laughs> I read a quote recently. In 100 years, all new people. Maybe you say, no, that's not it either. That all sounds so selfish, so self-centered. Besides, we're living in a postmodern culture, Scott, and we realize purpose and fulfillment is not found in, the dead, in those dead things that secularization in the modern age had to offer. I mean, we realize that life, purpose, and meaning is found in worthwhile causes, whether it's preserving the environment or feeding the poor. And, and I would say that both of those are good. Or you say it's found in meaningful relationships. It's found in my friends the ones that you haven't been able to see. My girlfriend, my boyfriend, and my family, my husband, my wife, my children. The problem is relationships often end. Sometimes a, a virus can keep us from them. Husbands leave. Wives leave. Children leave. And even if they don't, they will, they will let you down in, down in some way. Because ultimately, they can never fill the hole, the longing. They can never be the source of inner peace and joy for which you long. You know there's a hole, but how do you fill it? The, the, the fact is, most of us search for life in transitory things. I would even say dead things, temporary, fleeting things. My hope for you this morning is to introduce or perhaps reintroduce uh, to you the source of real life and eternal hope and joy. It is, after all, only found in one place. <laughs> in fact, some angels asked some women the same question I'm asking you this morning. It's found in Luke's account of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Yes, of course, I'm going to talk about the resurrection today. Yes, the story is told of a man who only attended um, church on Christmas and Easter, uh, and he was overheard saying one day, I'd go to church more often, but our pastor only preaches the same two messages. <laughs> yes, I'm going to talk about the resurrection, because I believe with all my heart that that the true source of life and purpose and meaning and joy is found in this story alone. And I want you to experience that life too. And I'm not just talking to perhaps non-Christians who, who may have tuned in this Easter Sunday morning, although I am talking to you. I'm talking to every one of us to include those of you who may have wandered away and begun collecting, well, whatever, as your treasure. And now, maybe, your world is crashing. Where is it that you are seeking life? This story is so important, it's found in all four Gospels. It is, after all, the reason that Jesus came. 
But, but we'll look at the one found at the end of the book of Luke. Follow along as I read Luke chapter 23, verse 55, and we'll go into chapter 24, says this. Now the women who had come with him, that is Jesus, out of Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and perfumes. And on the Sabbath, they rested, that is Saturday, according to the commandment. But on the first day of the week, Sunday, at early dawn, they, be, they came to the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. And when they, and when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. <laughs> While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling clothing. And as the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Here's the question. Why do you seek the living one among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. <laughs> and they remembered his words and returned from the tomb and reported all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now, they were Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James. Also, the other women with them were telling these things to the apostles. But these words appeared to them as nonsense, and they would not believe them. But Peter got up and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen wrappings only, and he went away to his home, marveling, at what had happened. Did you see the question? It's the simple question that I have for you today. Where are you seeking life? Or why are you seeking life in dead places? Among the tombs. The true source of life and purpose and meaning is found in one place in a living Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to look at the story with me today. If you're interested in outlines, it goes like this. We're going to see the preparation for the body, the problem at the tomb, and then the proclamation to the disciples. And let me begin by giving you some context. In the first 18 chapters of this book, we learn about the birth of Jesus and, and his first 33 years of life. In his three-year ministry, he did some amazing teaching and well, some rather amazing miracles proving that he was the Son of God. Then from chapter 19 on, we read of the, of the events of this Passion Week or this Holy Week, the last week of Jesus' life. He entered Jerusalem in what we call the triumphal entry on Palm Sunday, which we celebrated last Sunday in chapter 19. In chapter 20, on Monday and Tuesday of this week, he battled with the religious leaders who sought to discredit him, to trap him, to trip him up. In chapter 21, he gave his disciples some final important teaching on things to come in what is called the Olivet Discourse. And then in the pivotal chapter 22, we read about the Last Supper on Thursday night, about the Garden of Gethsemane, and about his arrest and appearance before the Sanhedrin, before Caiaphas and Annas. Finally, in chapter 23, we read about the events of Good Friday, which we celebrated two days ago, 
when Jesus appeared before Pilate, before Herod, when he was mocked, scourged, condemned, and finally crucified. Just recently, my wife Tana and I, as well as some others from the church, were privileged to visit Jerusalem. We were able to see what most believed to be a Golgotha, the place of the skull, the site of the crucifixion. The end of chapter 23, which we read just a moment ago, tells of his burial. Joseph of Arimathea, a member of the Sanhedrin, the council, and and a secret follower of Christ, asked Pilate for the lifeless body of Jesus. After a speedy preparation, which included burial spices and ointments and being wrapped from um, head to foot in linen, Jesus was placed in a new tomb hewn from the rock in a nearby garden. Again, we were able to visit what many believed to be the likely burial tomb of Jesus right outside the city wall of Jerusalem and right beside Golgotha. As our guide said, it was either this tomb or one just like it, but in the end, it doesn't really matter. Jesus wasn't there, and he didn't need it for very long. Well, all four Gospels make clear that some women um, closely observed where Jesus was buried so they could return after the Sabbath, after Saturday, and anoint his body on Sunday, the first day of the week. You see, he was likely crucified on Friday, hastily prepared um, and buried before the Sabbath began at 6 o'clock in the evening. The next day, the Scripture is, well, the Scripture is totally silent on the happenings in and around Jerusalem. We call it Holy Saturday. Can you imagine all of the hopes of the disciples who had followed Jesus for three years came crashing down? Hopes dashed Talk about hopelessness. They had invested all of their future, all of their dreams in him. Well, early on Sunday morning, these women made their way to the tomb with their prepared spices. They aren't identified until verse 10, but by comparing this verse with the other gospels, we find that there was Mary Magdalene, Salome, the mother of James and, and, and John, Mary, the wife of Clopas, the other Mary, the mother of James, and, and another woman named Joanna. They were all present. They arrived at the tomb early in the morning on the first day of the week, Sunday, the very first Easter, with prepared spices, hoping to anoint the body of Jesus. Just a quick aside, I find it incredibly interesting and exciting that God used women who in that society were not considered credible enough to be witnesses in a court of law. God used women to be the first credible witnesses to the resurrection. I love the way that God elevated women in a society that demeaned them. But as these women arrived at the burial site, there was a problem, which leads us to our second point, the problem at the tomb, thank God, in verses 2 to 8. Now, most of us know this part of the story well. Luke tells us when the women arrived, they found the stone rolled away. It's probably a circular disc that fit uh, 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 along a channel in front of the entrance to the tomb. It would have been a large stone, which the women would have had difficulty moving by themselves, especially, well, with Roman soldiers guarding the tomb. In fact, Matthew tells us when the angels appeared, those soldiers froze and fell to the ground in a catatonic state 
like dead men. So that's the picture. Soldiers lying on the ground, the stone rolled away. I want you to understand, the stone was not rolled away to let Jesus out. The stone was rolled away to let the women in. And so the women cautiously entered the tomb, but they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus, we read. And Luke tells us they were perplexed. Now, some skeptics would like to suggest that they came to the wrong tomb, but remember, they had marked its location well, plus the presence of the angels as well as the soldiers lying on the ground made it clear that they were at the right location. Either that or everyone was confused about which tomb was which, not likely it would take Mission Impossible team to pull off that kind of deception. The women were perplexed at a loss to understand what was going on, wondering about what happened to the body of their master. And behold, don't miss that word. It's an important word. It's meant to be an exclamation of something incredible. This is unbelievable. The point is, this was a significant event. I would offer to you the event of all history. And Luke wants you to visualize it, to see it. Behold, at that moment, two men suddenly stood before them in dazzling clothing. Verse 23 of this chapter makes clear that these were angels. Dazzling clothing speaks of clothes that were flashing with light, not like those children's shoes that light up when they walk. No, I'm talking dazzling. It's the same word that Luke used of Jesus at the Mount of Transfiguration. In other words, this was of heavenly origin. It was a brilliant display. And as, it usually, as is usually the response of people in the presence of angels, the women were, were terrified and bowed with their faces to the ground. And then came the question. Only Luke records it. And I believe it is the question of the ages, one everyone listening in must eventually answer. Why do you seek the living one among the dead? It is the question I have for you today. You see, I believe that people are looking for life in death, in all of the wrong places. Life cannot be found in dead corpses. It can only be found in one place, in the living Savior. They had come to a tomb. They were seeking a dead man, seeking to soothe their grief, grief by anointing him. <laughs> but Jesus was not there. The reason is obvious. Tombs are, are dead people apartments. And Jesus wasn't dead, and therefore, he wasn't there. I love the way Peter later said it in his first sermon in Acts chapter 2. But God raised him up, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held by its power. Did you see that? Death could not hold him. He had finished his work. God approved it and proved it by raising him from the dead. It was impossible for the grave to hold him there. At this point, the angels... Well, they mildly rebuked the women, reminding them he's not here, but he, was, he is risen. Remember? <laughs> Remember how he spoke to you while he was in, still in Galilee, saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again? Don't you remember that? He had been telling them this was coming. In Luke chapter 9, after Peter confessed that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God, Jesus said, that's right. 
And the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and scribes, and be killed and be raised on the third day. Notice Jesus there said, the son of man must suffer. Theologians call that the divine necessity. If there was to be salvation for humankind, then Jesus must go to the cross to bear our sins in his body. There was no other way. So he did, just as he said he would. He died for my sins and he died for yours. He is, after all, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he can take away your sins this day, this Easter morning. It's what Easter's all about. There is life, eternal life and forgiveness in one place and one place only in the living Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, Jesus told them a second time what was coming in Luke 18. Then he took the 12 aside and said to them, Behold, we're going to Jerusalem, and all things which are written um, uh, through the prophets about the Son of Man will be accomplished, for he will be handed over to the Gentiles. He will be mocked, mistreated, spit upon, and after they have scourged him, they will kill him, and the third day he will rise again. You see, Jesus told them plainly he was to be killed. In fact, in Matthew's gospel, he even identified what kind of death he would suffer. He would be crucified. But amazingly, they didn't get it. In fact, the next verse in Luke 18 says, but the disciples understood none of these things and the meaning of this statement was hidden from them and they did not comprehend the things that were said. This is what is called a controlled belief. That is, when we believe something right or wrong, if somebody says something to contradict that belief, we often reinterpret what we hear to make sense of it. The disciples did not believe that the Messiah would die. So even though Jesus told them plainly, while I'm not sure what they heard or how they interpreted it, they did not understand it so that when he died, it caught them completely off guard. When the, when, when the women came to the tomb on the third day, if they had understood it, the empty tomb would not have perplexed them. They would have known. Just like some of you. Don't get it. But my prayer for you this week has been that God would remove the blindness from your eyes, the veil over your hearts, so that you will see and that you will believe. You see, God graciously did that for the women. He sent the angels to open their eyes. I believe he sends the Holy Spirit today to do the same thing. The women, after hearing the announcement of the angels, um, Luke says this, and they remembered his words. <laughs> Whether or not there was faith or, or belief or understanding or just remembering, I don't know. The fact is, Jesus said he would suffer at the hands of the religious leaders, and he did. He said he would die by crucifixion, and he did. And he said he would be raised on the third day, and he was. And I want to remind you this morning, Jesus also said that by doing so, there would be life in him and him alone, and there is do you believe that? Now, the women tried to, tried to proclaim the truth of the resurrection to some degree to the disciples in the last few verses there, which brings us to our last point, actually our conclusion, this proclamation to the disciples. 
We read they returned to the room where the 11 uh, and the rest were hiding. Notice it's 11 now. The 12th, that is Judas, had already hung himself by now. So, so the women went back and reported all of these things to the 11 and the rest, that very small band of perhaps 120 who had not yet deserted. As we saw earlier, these women were identified in verse 10. But, but here's the important part. Notice the initial response of the report. Verse 11, these words appeared as nonsense and they would not believe them which is exactly where some of you have been, maybe where some of you are right now. You see, there is a sense in which I stand in the place of those women today. I am reporting to you all these things, all that happened when Jesus died for you. The truth is he loves you and he took your sins upon himself so that you could be forgiven and he was raised from the dead. And as a result, all that is left for you to do is turn from your sin we call that repentance, and turn in faith to Jesus Christ. Confess that you believe this report. Conf confess that you believe that God raised him from the dead and you can be saved. I want to say to you again, it is in Jesus, the living Savior, and in him alone that you will find life for which you have been longing. You will not find it in dead things, in the passing stuff that this world has to offer. Remember, in 100 years, all new people. Why are you looking for life in dead things? I am offering you, the, offering you today the truth of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. After all, he did it for you. But the fact is, you can have the response of those who first heard the report. You can hear it. Choose to reject it. The, these words, this report can sound like just a bunch of nonsense to you. You can dismiss it, choose not to believe. And you can continue to seek life where there is no life. Or the other response is found in verse 12. But, but Peter got up and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. Those words speak of a careful investigation. He saw the linen wrappings only, that is, there was no body. And he went away to his home, marveling at what had happened. Now, I don't know what marveling meant. For, uh, I don't know what it meant for Peter. But my desire for you, as we close this morning, is that you go away more than just marveling. My desire is that you go away believing. I am asking you to believe. I need you to listen carefully. We often speak of the free gift of eternal life. Some of you have heard it over and over. Others of you have perhaps heard it for the first time uh, this morning. I'm asking you to do something about this free gift. You see, a gift must be received. Maybe you are a believer here this morning and you've been sidetracked. You know Jesus, you've confessed him as Savior and Lord, but you have started seeking life in things that can never give life. And the evidence of that is the unsettled nature of what's going on in our world. The economic impact of, impact of this pandemic has slapped you in the face. I want to remind you, all this life has to offer is temporary and is nothing compared to the treasure of Christ. I want to invite you as well to spend some time 
praying. I'm asking you to recommit your life to the life-giving Savior. You will not find life anywhere else. And the truth is, you know that. And perhaps you've allowed yourself to get sidetracked. It's time to re-engage. For those of you who have never confessed faith in Jesus, I'm asking you to believe, to become with us followers of Jesus Christ. I promise you, you will find the life for which you are longing. That, that hole in your heart, I'm telling you that he and he alone can fill it. You will find eternal life, abundant life that only Jesus offers. And so why are you seeking life from dead things that can never give life? I offer you Jesus.